Green Left Weekly Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Green Left is a leading source of local, national and international news with analysis, discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. Good morning, listeners, and welcome back to Green Left Radio on 3CR. You're here with me, Chloe, and... Jacob. And we've also got Sue Bolton, Mary Beck Councillor, in in the studio with us uh, this morning. But before we begin, I'd like to start by recognising that we are meeting on the land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people, who are the rightful sovereign owners of this land. This land was stolen, it was taken by brute force, and they never ceded sovereignty and their colonization, and the colonization of their land continues to this day. And that struggle for First Nations sovereignty is deeply connected with the struggles against racism and border imperialism that we're all having to live with today. And as socialists, we pledge to actively support decolonization, whether it's in Black Lives Matter, Invasion Day, Black Debts in Custody or Stolen Generations campaigns or any campaigns led by Indigenous Australians. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I hope everyone has had a really good week. And um, and how is every, how are you, Sue and Jacob? <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been good. good. Um, in fact, I um, had a good weekend last weekend, which is I got to see Camp Cope's last show. And in fact, I thought we would... Um, for the start of our program, mm. we would actually play a bit of a song um, by them. Um, Camp Cope, for probably many of our listeners know who Camp Cope is. Um, Camp Cope are quite a very prominent um, feminist sort of power pup, power pu- um, punk rock kind of band um, that is, yeah, very well known. And their shows always kind of sell out. In fact, their last show had actually, in fact, sold out. So, yeah, they have broken up and... Um, Unfortunately, and but yeah, they played a really good show last weekend, and yeah, there's quite a, there was quite a good amount of politics in the show too from um, from the main singer Georgie. <laughs> well, before we get to that song, uh, we're just going to give you a bit of a, an idea of what the program's going to look like today. So we're going to have a big focus on the recent AUKUS announcement. Um, so we'll be having a roundtable discussion with Sue Bolton, Marybeth Councillor. And um, also with yeah, Jacob and I, we'll be giving like a, a socialist perspective, so you can look forward to that. Um, and then we've got an interview with Rachel Evans, who is running as a candidate for Socialist Alliance for the upcoming state election um, in New South Wales, which, place, which takes place on March 25th. And then we have an interview with Dr. Alison Broynowski, um, who is a former, was formerly an Australian diplomat, and she's the author of and editor of 14 books about Australia's dealings with the world, Asian countries um, in particular. Uh, so yeah, we're going we're looking forward to that interview as well. But you know, just because we're really focusing on um, the drive for war by the Australian government, we are we are having a big focus on this um, 
terrible um, expenditure on nuclear submarines. We we would like to start off with. Oh well, do you want to play the song first, Jacob, or start off with a new story? I'll, I'll start. I'll start off by playing the song. Let's start okay, off. Let's, let's go. Start off on a positive note, and in fact, the next note will play, will be. We'll start off with another. We'll give a bit of a news report. Um, a good a good news story. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're going to be listening to the opener by Camp Cope.
Right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR 855 AM, and you're just listening to the um, the opener by Camp Cope. Now, before we we get into our kind of big discussion that we'll, we we want to have on the nuclear submarine announcement, I want to just um, note I want to give a bit of a positive news story. This is just um, drawn from the pages of Green Left and was just published um, yesterday, but. Many of our listeners, we even actually interviewed her um, this year uh, on on FreeCR. But many um, a- many activists on the left would be kind of aware that um, climate activist Violet Coco was facing a potential jail sentence um, for essentially being for, for essentially blocking one lane of traffic for about thirty minutes on the Sydney um, Harbour Bridge last April. Now, the positive news story that is coming out is that she has actually been. Released and after a successful appeal of on March 15th of her 15 month jail sentence. Now, to give a bit of a kind of call background, she's basically been freed on a 12 month um, con- um, conditional order, but remains with the conviction of using of resisting police and using an unauthorized explosive. Glover also successfully appealed, who's another um, activist who was involved in that process. Alan Glover has also successfully appealed his 18-month community corrections order. Now, to give a bit of context for this, which um, the Green Left article kind of explores, Coco was one of the first that was sentenced under the New South Wales Coalition Government's anti-protest law. Now, these were introduced last year with Labor support, and the implications of these laws is that is that people can be fined up to 22000 and be jailed for two years just for peacefully protesting on or around public infrastructure. These laws have, in a set, these laws have been rightfully condemned by human rights groups, activists and lawyers for violating the basic right to protest, and, of course, they disproportionately target climate activists. And probably one sort of outrageous thing, I'm just reading from this, from this new um, drawing on the article, is what was quite insane was... The New South Wales police had actually lied um, quite directly about um, because essentially they were trying to, on this sort of charge of obstructing traffic, they were trying to kind of strengthen the, the New South Wales were trying were attempting to kind of strengthen their case against Violent Coco by basically arguing that an ambulance was being prevented from attending an emergency due to the protest. Now this was something that actually had a significant influence on the court's previous decision to impose harsh bail conditions and sentencings. But in the end, it was actually kind of false information. And, you know, having actually been involved in a lot of these, uh, you know, I was quite involved in the Extinction Rebellion uh, protests in 2019, and I've also been since supporting all the different Extinction Rebellion protests and including some of the protests of Blockade Australia. But one of the kind of principles that a lot of these climate activists have is we always, like, <laughs> even when we're sort of obstructing sort of traffic, there's always... <laughs> We always make a beeline, like in a sense, we always make room for emergency, um, yeah, emergency departments to be able to pass through, etc. So, yeah, it's uh, it's quite absurd that you know the the government would actually make this kind, of, um, that New South Wales police would actually kind of make this a- um, accusation. But yeah, I think um, overall, I think it's a kind of positive kind of news story. And I guess wonder if um, Chloe, you had any extra comments you wanted to make, or Sue, even? Oh, I just think that Violet Coco's release should be seen as a victory um, for the right to protest. Um, well, the right to protest movement. So yeah, we do need to continue to repeal these draconian anti-protest laws. And congratulations to to Violet Coco and all the campaign organisers that you know, um, 
were involved? Well, I've got an extra angle coming from Melbourne Mm. about the right to protest because uh, I've forgotten how many, but quite maybe 20-odd refugee protesters have been facing the courts since a protest outside the Mantra Hotel, which is where a whole lot of refugees who'd been medevaced to Australia from um, Nauru um, were in hotel detention um, for, you know, like a long, very, you know, over a year. Um, and when COVID hit Australia, the protest was converted in and the first COVID laws came in restricting movement, the protest was turned into a cavalcade where people didn't even get out of their cars. They just had signs on their cars and the police fined everybody. Um, Around 20-odd people decide to challenge those fines in the court and this case has been going backwards and forwards to the court for various mentions, so the actual trial hasn't happened yet. Um, but the most recent mention, which was last week, the magistrate questioned the police prosecutor why they were bringing these, pursuing these charges against the refugee activists, given that all the charges against the freedom protesters have been dropped. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the magistrate gave the police one more chance to drop the charges before going to court. But the magistrate was quite scathing about the police prosecution, um, police pursuing a crazy case. He didn't use the word crazy, but it was a totally, you know, it seems to be quite politically motivated attack on refugee protesters. So um, that's something to watch. Um, it's coming back before the courts in two or three months. Um, to decide whether or not it will proceed to trial. Um, but we will absolutely need to provide um, solidarity. This is quite an important case. All right. Thanks for that, Sue. Now, I think we'll go, we'll get, probably get into our kind of discussion, but I'll just go play a quick few announcements. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. The US and the UK under AUKUS are pushing Australia into another imperialist war. At the same time, whistleblowers who expose war crimes are jailed. Come to the rally and march for peace, truth, not war. 18th of March, beginning at 1pm State Library, marching to Treasury Gardens. Help build a people's movement for peace. No AUKUS Roundtable is a 3CR supporter. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital, and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. 
You're back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. And for listeners who just joined us, we are going to be having a bit of a, a roundtable discussion this morning. We're going to be talking about the AUKUS announcement. And most of you might have heard about an agreement, disagreement, the Australian government made on March 13th, just a few days ago, when they announced their decision to spend $368 billion to acquire and develop nuclear-powered submarines for Australia. And we're going to be discussing our response to this. Um, so we've got our 3CR presented uh, Jacob Andrawatha. Jacob's also a national convener of Socialist Alliance, um, so he's going to be sharing um, some thoughts with us um, with the Socialist Alliance perspective. And we also have Sue Bolton, who's a Marybeth councillor and also a member of Socialist Alliance and uh, me as well, who's also a member of Socialist Alliance. So, yeah, good to have um, you as well, Sue, um, on the program to discuss this. And I guess just to start off, you know, we are all socialist activists here. And so, you know, we probably should start off by giving, you know, our perspective on this latest AUKUS announcement to make nuclear submarines that are worth billions hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, Jacob, did you just want to offer some, you know, what your perspective is? Yeah, so I guess my kind of initial response to this um, to this announcement is I think this is, this does represent, I think, a very kind of dangerous development. And I think there's a lot of reasons to. I think as socialists, we should absolutely be opposed to any kind of form of kind of militarism. We should actually be opposed to kind of any sort of Prepar- any sort of um, sense of making any of any sort of capitalist government making preparations for war, essentially the government is is spending you know over three hundred sixty eight billion dollars for what is essentially while we're living in I guess in a co- um, a cost of living crisis, uh, a climate crisis. You know, there's all these sort of immediate sort of issues that are actually in a sense endangering you know ordinary people's sort of lives, but of course. What, um, but the priorities of the government, in a sense, is you know committing to building and maintaining nuclear-powered submarines. Um, and in fact, probably another element as well to note about it is, basically, I think it also demonstrates this announcement also demonstrates that this sort of drive to war and militarism actually is, in a sense, it's a bipartisan policy because this AUKUS sort of um, the AUKUS sort of alliance was actually started under the Morrison government, and what what Albanese has essentially basically said was basically the Albanese government has basically singled in in this announcement is basically we're basically committed to implementing the same kind of militaristic kind of policy as our predecessor, and I think that I think that is quite outrageous in I guess a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, so do you have? Well, I think from a socialist point of view, <laughs> you actually have to Im- oppose any kind of imperialist war. Working class people are the only people who um, suffer out of war. Um, you know, the rich, you know, usually manage to um, get away from it. The people who who profit out of it is the military-industrial complex. And unfortunately, Australia, Australian governments have been um, the only sort of manufacturing they're supporting is military manufacturing by weapons manufacturers, especially Israeli weapons manufacturers, <coughs> but other manufacturing, military manufacturing as well. Um, and um, this makes the world a dangerous place. And the so-called threat of China is a totally manufactured 
threat. I mean, China is an economic competitor to the United States. That's why the US is um, wanting to, um, is creating this war drive against China. Um, and, you know, it, I mean, the, you know, all these scary stories being promoted about China, but really, if China actually had submarines wandering around the US coast, would the United States sit and let that happen? They would not. They would be going absolutely ballistic um, about that. But also another element of this is by Australia being part of this AUKUS agreement and buying these nuclear subs, the United States is successfully managing to um, persuade its allies to um, share the cost of its military war drive. So actually, in a sense, it's outsourcing um, some of the the expense of its military war drive onto Australia. And Australia, unfortunately, um, is, you know, because of, um, you know, Australian imperialism's alliance with US imperialism is totally prepared to, you know, help pay for the US war drive and give it um, the look of breadth. But there are some governments, like um, the Indonesian government, that's um, saying that this is, this, um, these nuclear subs are not just nuclear subs wandering around. They're for a war-fighting capacity, and they're threatening to block um, nu- these nuclear subs from travelling um, through their waters. Um, and Malaysia has also made some criticism of um, this AUKUS subs announcement. So, But I think all socialists really need to support and rebuild the anti-war movement in Australia. This is really important. In the 1980s, we had a really big anti-war movement that fought for um, no U.S. bases, no U.S. warships and no U.S. Ba- um, uh, no US well, no uranium mining. And really, that's really what we should be fighting for again. We're being drawn much more intimately into the U.S. war machine through this announcement. Well, actually, you mentioned building the anti-war movement and, you know, understandably, it has actually weakened over the last few decades. But we were just talking before about how there might have been an opening created for um, to build the anti-war movement. And um, maybe I just mention Paul Keating um, for younger listeners. He's a former Australian prime minister, um, really right wing, but he's actually spoken out against the nuclear submarine agreement and described it as the worst mistake the Labor government has made since Billy Hughes supporting conscription. So, um, yeah, just maybe, you know, let us know your thoughts on how this has opened up public debate on on the issue. And also there's been a huge media attack on Paul Keating um, as well, so we just need to acknowledge that. Well, I actually think Paul Keating's comments, while he's right-wing Labor and and so forth, the fact that someone of his um, stature and notoriety, etc., has come out scathingly, has punctured the bubble... Um, because the media has had to report his comments and he gave a National Press Club speech, etc. Mm. It actually has punctured the um, the lines that the Albanese government has been using for this AUKUS deal. And he's, 
you know, held no punches. And so the establishment is now attacking him. But I think he has given permission to, uh, by his scathing attack on the government um, over this deal, he's basically given permission for other people to come out and oppose the deal. Now, the anti-war movement has been opposing the AUKUS deal um, all along, but there really hadn't been really any mainstream figures coming out against um, against this deal. Now, I gather there are starting to be some unions coming out. Um, I gather um, there are, well, I mean, there are starting to be other people coming out. Uh, one, one of the former Labor government ministers, um, Peter Garrett, has come out against it. Now another former um, Labor <coughs> senator, um, you know, um, Doug Cameron has come out against the AUKUS agreement and um, basically Keating has also made mention about um, Labor Party members coming out against um, this agreement. Now, I don't think there's been that many come out, but there is a branch in, of the Labor Party in Sydney that's circulating a motion against AUKUS, and I think we've this is an opening for the anti-war movement to start to get a bit more traction. Um, you know, we actually have to compare the movements in Australia and New Zealand. New Zealand, actually, the New Zealand peace movement actually won um, uh, won uh, the ban of U.S. nuclear warships coming to New Zealand ports. Australia, the Australian peace movement never won that in the 80s, and that was partly because we had a Labor government and Labor influence in the movement. But um, that's why New Zealand isn't part of this AUKUS agreement. That is a result of the successful campaigning of the New Zealand peace movement all those years ago in the 80s. Um, Jacob, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on Paul Keating as well. I mean, Sue just mentioned a few people from the Labor Party speaking up, but really there's been no parliamentary debate on this issue. I mean, the ALP have really shown themselves to be completely useless. Um, but, yeah, what what are your thoughts on... Um, the attack on Paul Keating and what he's had to say as well. I mean, I, I wouldn't sort of describe the ALP as kind of being useless. In a sense, they're they're presenting a united position, and this is, in a sense, what they represent. This is the united position that the mm. ALP, um, in a sense, represent. Um, it does sort of raise questions about... Because basically, there's often a kind of defence of um, the ALP kind of put forward um, that, you know, there's... There's good people in the ALP and, you know, there's a left in the ALP that is trying to turn things to the left. I mean, now there's been a, quite a deliberate opening being put up forward by an, a former Labor Party prime minister and there's and there's sort of nowhere to be seen apart from obviously that one Labor Party branch that um, Sue has kind of mentioned. But I think a few things to mention. I, I think a few things. I mean, last week we spoke about the kind of red alert um, kind of Sydney Morning Herald front page um Front page sort of hysteria around around China, and basically the summary of that of that whole piece was basically for it was basically trying to build this kind of consensus that we would be at war with with China within the next three years, and that we are not ready. Um, and in fact, Paul Keating has, in a sense, he wasn't just criticising the AUKUS announcement; he was actually calling out that hysterical kind of footage. Um, um, coverage around around the question of China and this and this question of building a war drive. Paul Keating basically makes the argument that China does not represent a military threat to to Australia and that we should not be entertaining the kind of idea. And I think 
to put some of Paul Keating's kind of comments in context, I mean, Paul Keating as a prime minister was in a sense attempting to kind of normalize kind of relations with, with China, um, in terms of, in terms of kind of, um, Australia's role as a, as a capitalist kind of nation. So in a sense, Paul Keating's comments kind of reflect the fact that within the capitalist class, there are obviously divisions on these questions of, around how we relate to China, because I think, I think China very much, I think how we would understand China as, as socialists is that China is a rising capitalist power. It doesn't represent, in a sense, a progressive role for workers and that of the oppressed, but it is a rising capitalist power and overwhelmingly all the hysteria against China, all, all this thing about security threat and so on, it's all based on the fact that the United States is, in a sense, it's a dying empire or it's an empire kind of in decline compared to its sort of glory days. Um, and they're, 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 they are basically threatened by the fact that they might be losing hegemony over, over the global, over the global capitalist system. And I think that's a, that's the kind of context we have to put in. And then just the, la- the other comment I want to make about the Paul Keating stuff is the kind of hysterical kind of attack from the media, I think it is actually quite outrageous in a lot of ways because these, the, the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, they like to present themselves as being kind of open to sort of open sort of democratic debate. Um, you know, they, they, you know, they, they, they even printed things that were, they even printed an article that was actually critical of, of the whole red alert sort of, um, sort of report. But, that's um that's that's another story but what it kind of shows to me is like well have there's clearly there clearly has to be like even from the perspective of living in a liberal capitalist democracy there clearly has to be some kind of level of open debate (laughs) and paul keating in a sense as a former prime minister is putting forward his contribution to this open debate yet the media is actually in a sense it's completely ideological it's actually trying to form a consensus on China, and it's pushing it very strongly, and basically they're trying to make the argument that it cannot be questioned, which I actually think is quite... I think that is quite outrageous in a lot of ways. And, you know, these countries can talk about how authoritarian and anti-democratic um, China is, which I think it is quite an anti-democratic country. There's a there's a lot of issues with um, the way China... Um, what way China is governed. But it's like these western powers like australia actually have no right to talk about uh, democracy if our me- uh, if our so-called free media doesn't even allow an open political and democratic debate to be um to be conducted and in fact the only thing the, the main attack they've sort of made on Paul Keating hasn't even been on the substance of what he's politically been saying they've tried to kind of create this sort of hysteria that oh he's insulted you know he made insulting comments and they're offensive and he should take them back but it's like well, actually engage with the substance of what he actually had to say. Yeah, and just going back to this actual, the the plan itself, um, you know, the nuclear submarine agreement has been described as representing the single biggest investment in Australia's defence capacity um, in in its entire history. And so you wrote a like a, a Facebook post, I think it was, saying that there are 368 billion reasons to oppose AUKUS and the plans for nuclear submarines. So, you know, what what do you think um, that you know this 300 this this billion dollar um, 365 billion dollar cost reflects about you know the priorities of this government, the Albanese government? Well, I think maybe the first thing we should say is. Australia's military spending is all about war. It's not really about defence. In fact, really, um, 
Australian um, soldiers have rarely been involved in defence. Most of the wars going all the way back to Australia sending troops to the to fight in the Boer War in South Africa have been wars of invasion or, or um, Australia's always engaged in war. They've rarely ever. They even sent troops to Sudan um, around that you know late 1800s period. Um, they lobbied for um, you know they they lobbied to um, you know to colonise um, Papua New Guinea and, and um, they, yeah, they've, Australia, Australian government has been involved in, you know, um, the war against the communists in, uh, in Malaysia with its bases. Like there have been so many um, Australian invasions or, or um, involvement in wars overseas that a lot of Australians don't even really know about, including the Korean War in the 50s. Um, there's so many, uh, way, way more than just the Vietnam War. So it's, it's, this is about military offence. It's not about defence of Australia. It's about joining the US's, uh, potential and they, uh, you know, some wings of the ruling class and the media obviously hope that there will be a war against China because otherwise why would the Sydney Morning Herald and Age of, uh, and nine media um, have printed those stories about red alert like that just reminds you of the you know the yellow peril um, that was used in the lead up to the in the lead up to the Vietnam War etc like it's or, or um, the all of the um, or the red alert um, during the Cold War this is really um, designed to really scare the pants off people so that people start to think, oh, well, yes, China's a huge a huge threat. Um, so this is about war. It's not about defence. Um, and the media consensus and political consensus leading, you know, uh, around AUKUS that um, Paul Keating has pricked the bubble on is also what it was like in the lead-up to the Iraq war, except there were some more dissident mainstream um, voices against the Iraq war. But like because Liberal and Labor were united, um, and the same thing happened in the United States, um, as soon as the announcement was made to invade Iraq, there was a, a closure of any kind of criticism of the Iraq invasion um, in the United States. So this is what happens in the lead-up to every war where the ruling class tries to close ranks and unite behind the war drive. This is why it's so dangerous um, that um, this whole... um, You know, because they're trying to actually take us to war. And if you look at all the scarifying about, you know... um, about you know blocking trading routes etc and um, and chi- Chinese aggre- supposed aggression um, around the Spratly Islands etc. I mean you know talk about the rank hypocrisy of Australia blocking East Timor from being able to do um, oil and gas drilling in the Timor Sea mm-hmm. um, because Australia basically divided up the Timor Sea between itself and Indonesia when East Timor was under occupation. So Australia has no 
basis on which to point figures at China. Australia has operated in exactly the same way against against East Timor as as um, they're accusing China of. Mm. And oh yeah, yeah. I, I was just gonna, you know, I mean, the Albanese government is, you know, it, it does look like it, it's just justifying this military spending on the basis that. It will actually ensure security and safety for Australians, but really it's the opposite. And the real push for the nuclear submarine deal and the AUKUS security pact is actually war and military offence. I just wanted you to maybe comment on that, Jacob. Well, I just want to go back a bit to the... Because mm. I think one one sort of issue that has sort of dominated political debate around this $365 billion mm. um, question is basically how is the government going to pay for it? And I think this, I think in a sense it does reflect the misplaced, the priorities of the Albanese government. I mentioned before we're in the midst of a cost of living crisis. We obviously have the whole issue of climate change, which Australia is not immune to. Um, and in fact, Australia is deliberately making the climate um, crisis worse. You know, $365 billion could actually be used to address the education crisis. It could be used to address the healthcare crisis. It could also be used to, um, towards, um, investing in renewable energy. In fact, um, you know, beyond zero emissions that, uh, um, you know, in 2020 launched its million jobs plan, demonstrating that more than 1.8 billion jobs could be created through undertaking steps to reboot Australia as a low carbon economy. And of course, that's actually at the fraction of the cost because the, the jobs plan that they were presenting was actually involved a mix of public investment and private ownership. So, uh, well, private sort of basically incentives for, for private industry, um, so to speak. So, and also I think to make a, just another few comments on on those sort of dynamics, you know, we already have Peter Dutton kind of raising kind of questions around how we're going to pay for it, including basically arguing that they would support cuts to oh, to pay for it, yeah. um, to NDIS to pay for it. So in a sense, the whole budget actually would be, is given the the long commitment that this is going to take, because this is like a thirty to fifty year old, I think thirty to fifty years that this submarine. Um, will take place. It's actually going to be. It's actually going to tie the government to a massive amounts of military spending, and that's going to create a context for future governments um, to actually make cuts to necessary social services. And I think we absolutely have to be kind of opposed to that. And I think another kind of element to it is, I mean, the whole nuclear sort of submarine sort of deal is in sense, it's actually driving an arms race in the region. Like one of the kind of arguments that is sort of that's sort of being made is, well, I mean, China is investing in, in military too, so therefore we have to invest in military. So I think it's actually, in a sense, driving up this arms race in, in the Asia Pacific, actually driving up militarism. And we have to be, we have to recognize who, what is that arms race? Um, who is that arms race is going to benefit? It's going to benefit the big major sort of arms corporations who are going to make, you know, to use a pun, they're going to basically make a killing off 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 the sales of, of weapons and in fact we're already seeing those same same arms companies making a massive profit off um off Russia's invasion of Ukraine um so i think there's we have to be i think we have to be kind of very kind of concerned about that and in, and in terms of i guess what's sort of driving this and i think we possibly might have to conclude this discussion soon mm. because we have time because there's so much to kind of discuss about this i i mean i think ultimately what's driving this is what i kind of said from the very beginning which is i think ultimately 
um, um, the the United States is hegemony is feeling threatened um, by by um, by China's rise as a capitalist power, and they ultimately want to um, want to contain them at any cost. And of course, that's the whole basis of the AUKUS alliance. Now, I would probably just make one comment: is I don't necessarily think Australia is being dragged into this in a sense. I think Australia is making a deliberate decision to align itself with the United States because it does have something to gain out of it. Although at the same time, I have mentioned before that there obviously are debates among sections of the capitalist class. There are divisions on this question around, because I think there's plenty of capitalists who would just prefer the status quo to remain. They just want to um, trade with China because they get a massive amount of profits. But then there's also a section of capital that would prefer maybe be eliminated as a competitor. Can I maybe just add something there? Um, The fact that they're prepared to spend... $368 $368 billion on these subs actually um, disputes their line that they need to find cost savings in the budget because of the black hole left to Labor by, in the budget by the Liberal Party. Um, you know, so they've got to go carefully through the budget and they can't, and trying to hose down people's expectations about fixing Medicare, fixing the education crisis, health crisis, housing crisis, so they can do small amounts of things but not really um, solve these issues, that they can't afford to increase job seeker and, and, um, and pensions to give people a more um, realistic income. Um, but they're happy to throw away $368 billion. In fact, you could say the $368 billion, it's like, it's as good as, um, you know, lighting a match and putting it up against $368 billion worth of Dollar notes. Um, so Lighting this is on fire. Yeah, yeah. This is just burning, burning money, and, and this this could actually resolve the housing crisis, mm. um, the health and education crisis, and go as and, and um, funding for disability um, services and aged care, and go a long way towards um, resolving a lot of um, climate. Um, climate crisis spending, um, it could go a long way to contributing to um, solving aspects of uh, trying to stop climate change from happening or going any further. So, you know, this is actually outrageous that they're prepared to spend $368 billion on these subs. What do you think a genuine foreign policy based on justice looks like from a Socialist Alliance perspective? Well, I think the first thing is, I mean, I think the, I think we have to basically make the argument that, you know, the real, the kind of real security policy um, for socialists is one that doesn't have war. It is actually peace. Peace is actually the ultimate security policy. And in fact, every government should be committed to demilitarization and committed to any sort of attempts to um, for, for peace and not increase kind of military spending. And I think, you know, we also have to note that the existential threat posed by runaway global warming actually means that it's actually crucial for the next 10 years that, huma- that you know, even within these capitalist states, these capitalist states will actually, ha- actually have to unite to address, address the, the entire climate crisis. But also I think, you know, we have to be committed to campaigning for Australia to actually withdraw completely from AUKUS 
ASUS and and the Quad. We have to basically withdraw from all those um from all those things. None of those serve the interests of ordinary working people um within so-called Australia. It also means we have to be committed to campaign to closing all U.S. bases and similar to what New Zealand has achieved, banning nuclear ships in Australian ports. We also need. I also think we should be completely ripping up the contract to cancelling the um cancelling um cancelling the plan to purchase nuclear-powered submarines. I mean, the government already did it around mm. the French submarines, if, if, if people didn't remember. like, So it's not like... Because basically, I think some um, Labor apologists are sort of trying to make this argument that, oh, well, you know, Labor has to commit to this because this is inheriting what Morrison had already done. But, you know, I mean, Morrison already... <laughs> the Morrison government had already committed to ripping off an existing contract, which was with the French co- um, government for um, particular submarines back in that time. So... The, the argument that it's impossible to just withdraw from this, I think, is completely misguided. And I think, yeah, that, and I also think we have to, more importantly, I'll conclude on this, we have to stand in solidarity with all people's struggles against imperialism, war and occupation, and we have to basically be committed to building a mass anti-war movement and, you know, we have to be part of supporting the newly formed anti-AUKUS um, campaign groups. Yes, so did you just want to offer some final thoughts on, you know, why it is important to build a mass movement against this and also build the anti-nuclear movement? Well, it's actually really, really crucial because really, I mean, it's the old socialist slogan about the international workers of the world. I mean, basically, workers, workers have no interest in firing on other workers okay now firing on other workers through war is very different now because it's in the form of bombs and and so forth but it's i mean basically the working class people have no interest in war um and fighting each other and that's one of the reasons why we have to build an anti-war movement and one that's based on international solidarity and i think the other element of an anti-war movement has to be an anti-nuclear movement as well, because that's the other thing which has been smuggled in, will be smuggled in under this AUKUS agreement with the nuclear subs, is it will introduce a nuclear industry in Australia for the first time. Um, and, you know, while we've got um, a low-level nuclear reactor for medical, medical isotopes and so forth... Um, which produces low-level um, radioactive waste, basically what the government will be doing, and they hadn't really told people about this, but it's only suddenly appeared in the, in the media, that they are going to be hunting around for a community that they can bully into accepting high-grade, high weapons-grade nuclear waste. And the media has stopped even reporting on the fact that there's a problem with nuclear waste. Um, there's no safe means of disposal of nuclear waste. So it's actually totally irrational that there is this um, international nuclear industry and that nuclear weapons, nuclear-powered warships and so forth are being used. And the, already two states have said, no, we won't be having nuclear waste. Um, in our states, that's Western Australia and South Australia. So it means that they're going to be looking around, especially in the Northern Territory and especially poor, um, poor working class communities or remote Aboriginal communities are in the firing line in the Northern Territory in particular, I would say, because it's in the populous states. 
um, I think they will probably all be saying no to nuclear waste. So um, there is a need to link up the anti-war element with the anti-nuclear element because a lot of people have forgotten, you know, because we haven't really had a serious anti-nuclear movement for a long time in Australia. Um, so we actually need to remind people that there's no safe means of storing nuclear waste um, and rebuild this movement. Uh, and there actually is an action happening this Saturday at one o'clock at the State Library to, uh, to you know, start to rebuild the movement against uh, the anti-war movement against this AUKUS deal. Thanks, Sue. I think um, unless Jacob had anything more you wanted to add, we'd wrap up the interview there. Um, and if people want to read more about this issue, they can check out the pages of Green Left. Um, you can also become a subscriber for $5 a, a month. And thanks for being on the show today, Sue and Jacob, for sharing a Socialist Alliance perspective on this issue. I mean, this sub-deal and this escalation for war um, is the real tr- threat to people's safety right now. And, and, you know, the rising of the cost of living, the climate, um, the housing crisis, these are the things that we should be worrying about, not China. Um, and, yeah, just to plug that uh the um, rally tomorrow. It's a so it's going to be. It's called a call to, for peace, truth, not war. Stop AUKUS war lines. No nuclear submarines. Um, and that's going to be tomorrow, Saturday, the 18th of March, which is also the 20th anniversary of the invasion of Iraq um, by the U.S. And we're going to be meeting at the State Library at 1 p.m. We'll go to uh, an announcement. Able-bodied Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment. I'm not getting a fair go and I don't like it and I'm saying so. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55 on the AM dial. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital, and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. Hey, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And so we're joined today by Rachel Evans, who is actually running as a candidate for um, the Socialist Alliance. And this is, um, she's running as a candidate for the upcoming state election, which is actually going to be taking place on March 25th. Um, 
in New South Wales. Yeah, well, the state election in New South Wales. Well, we, I think some of our listeners already know we had a state election in November. So, yeah, basically, um, we're going to have a discussion with Rachel. So, yeah, good morning, Rachel. Good morning, Jacob. Yeah, how are you going? Um, so, why don't you get us a start? Can you give us a bit, can you, I guess, tell us about the kind of platform that, I guess, Socialist Alliance is um, kind of bringing to the New South Wales kind of state election? And I guess, what are sort of some of the key kind of issues in the New South Wales state election that you're hoping to kind of address for your campaign? Uh, yeah, so the housing crisis is very extreme in Sydney and New South Wales. So, I'm standing for the local seat of Heffron, which is a South Sydney seat, and that contains Waterloo and East Lakes, two suburbs that have a lot of public housing. Uh, there's a cost of living crisis because um, food prices in Sydney are very expensive in Coles and Woolworths, um, and we have an environment crisis that we have to deal with. Uh, this is the most important decade, says the United Nations Secretary-General, for us to stop coal and gas. But Labor and Liberal are pro-coal and pro-gas. And we've got this massive, massive plan, uh, which we are fighting tooth and nail against in the Pilliga, which is the food bowl of New South Wales um, in Gumaroy land. And they want to build 850 gas wells in that gorgeous land. So we're fighting that hard. Um, and the, the cost of living crisis, it's the wage cap. So the Liberal state government, and we've had them for 12 years, they've introduced a, a wage cap of for public sector workers, of which there's about 500,000 um, in New South Wales, and that's 3%. And that the wages of public service workers, other wages, um, they set the pace. The private sector workers' wages follow the public sector workers' wages. So fighting that off and winning against that wage cap and a real increase for public sector workers is also a key campaign, which we're backing the unions on. Um, and the RTBU, which is the Rail Transport Workers Union, just had a victory through the Fair Work Commission. So they got a $4,500 one-off payment and their wage increase hit 3.5%. So that, that was a really good victory early March. And, um, and where, you know, the Labor Party, New South Wales Labor Party aren't promising a lot. So it's Labor Liberal very much the same. Uh, so the anti-capitalist socialist alternative in this election is really important. And what can you tell us about the kind of political program that um, Socialist Alliance is sort of try, um, is trying to bring to voters in terms of the New South Wales state election? Yeah, well, we're focusing on housing, um, cost of living and the environment. So on the public housing front, we are demanding the New South Wales state government, Liberal and Labor, back away from the demolition and eviction of public housing tenants from their estates proposals, which are spattered all over New South Wales. So Waterloo, South Everly, which is another inner city um, estate right next to Waterloo, then there's Glebe, then there's Riverwood, and then there's Coffs Harbour in New South Wales. So it's um, it's an extreme privatisation plan from the Liberal State Government, but the Labor Party haven't really offered any guarantees to the tenants um, except for one estate, which is the Franklin Estate in Glebe, which is about 110 homes and dwellings. So that's been a positive, but otherwise they're not offering much at all. The New South Wales ALP, they're, they're saying we're going to merge three government departments into one and that's pretty much their only promise to 
solving the housing crisis, which is um, so extreme. We've got a rent freeze as a demand, as well as increasing. Uh, we want to build 100,000 new public housing dwellings in over the next five years. We want to freeze rent. We want to decrease rent. We also want to forcibly acquire homes or dwellings, properties that are left empty for more than 12 months over the public housing stock because we have 164,000 properties empty every night in Sydney um, due to Airbnb, but also just investors uh, not wanting to fill the homes. We also want to transfer the subsidies which the state government gives to gas and coal companies over to homelessness services, of which are seeing um, they're incredibly overrun. Uh, we also want a treaty and sovereignty negotiations genuine land rights negotiations with First Nations people and an end to stealing First Nations children, which is still at extraordinarily high rates. Um, and we also want justice for the deaths in custody families and, and for full implementation of the Royal Commission into Deaths in Custody um, recommendations. We want to also put a cap on electricity and gas and water prices, and that will really help are struggling working-class families and individuals um, who are suffering under the interest rate rises and, and the rises in, in rent. It's just extraordinary, the rent increases. We heard about a $300 a week rent increase to a, a three-bedroom um, home in the inner west. So, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just extraordinary. So these measures plus free, free and frequent public transport are measures that will really assist in lowering the cost of living uh, crisis and abating that crisis. And um, and we are also saying, look, people's power is going to get the good. If any political party or anyone running for office says that if you elect us, if you elect me, we'll be able to solve the crisis in Parliament, don't believe them. It's only people's power that's, and community organising that's going to get the good on these questions, and that's where we're also focusing our efforts on supporting the unions and the community to organise for our rights. Okay. So I, I want to, um, in terms of a final kind of comment to conclude this interview, can you talk a bit more practically about, you know, you talked about people power, um, because basically Socialist Alliance, you know, from our, is, doesn't just run in uh, in elections to, to simply get elected. They simply... You are you are running because to kind of actually present a kind of alternative kind of vision of a, of a socialist society, and that involves the kind of mobilisation of the mass. So I kind of want to hear your kind of final comments, kind of concluding, I guess, on that note. Yeah, look, capitalism is destroying the planet, and it's making life very difficult for the majority of people, even in Australia, one of the richest countries in the world. Um, and we've got to rise up on mass against the billionaire class who is taking us to the precipice. Um, and this is an existential crisis. The environment crisis is, is an existential crisis. Um, and we have no choice but to raise both the issues of, of, the, of the system, but also organise the people to take power. And that's the community organising. We've just had a victory around repealing the anti-protest laws which is a really important victory over the last two weeks. We've been fighting hard on that front in Sydney and New South Wales. Both the Labor Party and Liberal Party passed anti-protest laws, and so um, we've had a victory in getting Violet Coco. She won her appeal, which means she won't be going back into jail, an environment activist. We've also been fighting hard, actually. The union leadership's been campaigning 
with strike waves, um, blaze of action, um, the RTBU, the teachers, the nurses, we've been supporting those strike actions. And we've been rebuilding the environment movement in a stronger climate coalition, bringing together all of the activist groups, Bidding Manners, Extinction Rebellion, Water for Rivers, Workers for Climate Action, 350.org, some of the, the, the NGOs have been coming on board. The Civil Liberties Council has been fighting hard with us, which has been very good, a very good sign. Um, so building these stronger coalitions because united we stand, divided we fall. Um, and, you know, there's intersectionality between workers' rights, workers' rights and the environment, trans rights and workers' rights. So we've been building those relationships between the LGBTI community and the environment movement and the Indigenous rights movement and so on. So that's what social science has been doing um, over the last, you know, of, well, since, since our inception. Um, but also after the elections, we're calling on all of the parties the ranks of the parties, the Greens, to keep on the streets and keeping the pressure on. So World Environment Day is looking like a really important marker for that next step for the environment movement. And we're calling on the Greens and, and um, other independents, and there's a lot of independents who are running in the election, the Teals are, the Legalised Cannabis Party, to join us on the streets and in this broader coalition uh, because it's that heat on the streets that's going to win us the, the planet that we need to save. All right. Thank you very much, um, Rachel. I think this has been a very good kind of interview. And, yeah, just for our listeners, um, yeah, Social Science is running in the New South Wales state election, and the election is actually going to be due next Saturday. So if you have any kind of friends um, in New South Wales or if there's any listeners um, who, are, who are listening to this, from New South Wales who are listening to this program, you can also go onto the Social Science website to find out detail, more details about their campaign. So thank you very much, Rachel. Thanks heaps, Jacob. Go well, Theresia. All right, I'll just go play a quick announcement. You're listening to Green Left Radio. Kafirs are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafirs, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, all scarves are $35 each. Explore the range and order online, or drop by 3CR during business hours. Where your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafias.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Everybody Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment. I'm not getting a fair go and I don't like it and I'm saying so. You're listening to 3CR, 855 on the AM dial.
All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR 855 AM. And it's around a bit past eight, and so it is now time for the Green Left Activist Calendar. So just highlighting some of the um, upcoming protests and political events that are going to be happening in Melbourne. The first event I want to highlight is there's actually going to be a National Day of Climate Action happening today at 2pm at the State Library in Swanson Street in the city. That rally is being organised by uni students for climate justice and it's been, yeah, it's basically going to be a, a protest aimed at mobilising um, university students around around the climate crisis. The next, um, the next event to highlight is there's going to be, um, a protest, um, against the speaking tour of right-wing UK transphobe Kelly J. Keane, who's also known as pa- Posey Parker. We did a pre, we did an interview about this, um, last Friday, and that's going to be happening at 11.15 a.m. at the Exhibition Gardens at Nicholson Street in Carlton. But you can look up the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism Facebook page to sort of get the exact sort of details. Then there'll be another important rally, considering our discussion that we had earlier. Um, a call to pe- for peace, truth not war, stop the AUKUS war lines, and that's going to be happening at 1pm at the State Library in, in Swanson Street in the city. And then on um, for, on Wednesday, March the 22nd, there's going to be a forum, Can We Decolonise Health and Community Care? That's going to be happening at 6.30pm at the Wheeler Centre, 176 Little Lungsdale Street in the city. And then on, there's going to be a film screening on Wednesday, March the 22nd, The Road to War at 6.45pm at the Cinema Nova, 3880 Ligon Street in Carlton. Um, and then you can, if you find, you can find details about by, by searching The Road to War Cinema Nova, which I think, yeah, I think this is, it's actually a documentary that's sort of focusing a bit on this kind of anti-Chinese hysteria and also the kind of drive to war by the, by the Western governments. <laughs> Then on um, Thursday, um, March the 23rd, there's going to be a public forum. Um, is a recession and mass employment the only solution to inflation? And that's going to be happening at 6pm. And I think that event has been organised by the Australian Institute, as far as I know. Um, so if you look on their website, you should be able to get the details there. Now, I'll go um, pass on to Sue. Sue has just an important event that she wanted to highlight. Yes, I'd like to mention um, a, uh, a public meeting which has been organised for Sunday the 26th of March. Its title is Burma's Spring and Human Rights Crisis. It'll be at 10.30 in the morning um, and it will bring together different parts of the community in Burma or Myanmar, as it's called now, um, especially all of the different ethnic groups from um, from Burma. It'll be held at the Springvale Reserve Hall, New Common Road, Springvale. And the keynote speaker is Dr. Mong Zani. He's a human rights activist and co-founder of the Forces of Renewal for Southeast Asia. And he's a leading expert on genocide in Southeast Asia. And in fact, he's actually been following the Rohingya issue for decades now and especially the slow genocide against the Rohingya in Burma. Um, the um, meeting has been organised by the Australian Burmese Rohingya Association and there are other speakers as well, but Dr Mongzani is the key person. Um, so, yeah, that would be really um, great if people would be able to come to that public meeting on Sunday the 26th of March, 10.30am in Springvale Reserve Hall. 
Um, the next event I just want to highlight is um, there's going to be a, a concert the tra- a tra- by the trans um, by Trans Pride. It's going to be a Trans Pride concert at 6 p.m. at Federation um, Square. Then there's going to be a book launch, Histories of Fascism and Anti-Fascism in Australia. That's happening on Friday the 31st of March at 6pm at the Catalyst Social Centre, 144 to 146 Sydney Road in Coburg. Um, and then, um, and then on Sunday, April the 2nd, there's going to be the Palm Sunday Walk for Justice, um, for refugees. And that's going to be happening at 1.30 p.m. at the State Library in Swanson Street in the city. So that finishes up the green left kind of activist calendar. Um, but yeah, I guess one kind of thing to note on is, um, green left, um, is a, is a, activist left-wing kind of news publication that, you know, is always committed to supporting the kind of struggles of the oppressed. Um, it's been going on for kind of more more than 30 years. And, of course, yeah, for Green Left Radio and um, and Green Left, to, in order to kind of keep Green Left Radio on the air, you know, we do rely on on the support on 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 financial support from our supporters. So if you want, if you've considered becoming a supporter of Green Left, you can um, you can become one for as low as five dollars a month, or um, for the online edition, or ten dollars a month. And you can just go on our website, greenleft.org.au forward slash support. Um, yeah, I think it's um, very important to kind of support Radical Radio and um, and and um, Green Left. All right, I'll just go play um, a quick announcement. You're listening to Green Left Radio. The fears are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes the fears, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, all scarves are $35 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafirs.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Our programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. 
city limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. So, um, Green Left Radio on um, radio th- Community Radio 3CR um, is back after those announcements. Um, now, we were going to bring you an interview with Dr. Alison Brunowski from the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network. Unfortunately, we can't get on to her this morning, um, so we are going to be talking about some other issues instead. And one, so many apologies for that. We will try and get her online um, in a following, in an upcoming program, and that is to talk about the whole AUKUS issue, which we've already been talking about this morning. Um, I wanted to chat a little bit more about this rally that's coming up, the Palm Sunday Walk for Justice for Refugees rally, because this is a really important rally. Some people would, um, who might have heard the government's announcement a few weeks ago about um, people, refugees on temporary, vi- temporary visas, temporary protection visas, or the, uh, the other form of temporary visa, the CHEV visa, would be able to get permanent refugee status. Um, but what people didn't realise, a lot of people didn't realise if they didn't have time to read the small print, is that 12,000 refugees or asylum seekers will be left out of that decision and the people who are eligible for permanent protection, um, they won't have their visas automatically just shifted straight from temporary visas to permanent protection visas uh, or permanent residency. They have to apply and so that means that some of the refugees on temporary visas will be waiting still another 12 months, maybe longer even, while their applications for permanent visas are processed. So it's another stalling process. Um, So this rally is absolutely going ahead. Um, The refugee movement knows that they need to keep mobilising. We need to keep the pressure up in this government because we need all refugees on any kind of temporary visa, um, bridging visa, people who are in Nauru, people who are in Manus, to be able to um, to be put onto permanent protection visas. They should not be forced through all of these evil processes such as fast-tracking and so on and so forth. But also, people who refugees who are stuck in Nauru and stuck in, in PNG as a result of Australia's policies need to be brought here and the Australian government needs to start taking refugees from Indonesia again. There are thousands and thousands of refugees stuck in Indonesia, um, refugees from wars that Australia's been involved in, such as um, 
the invasion of Afghanistan, so Afghani refugees, Iranian refugees, Rohingya refugees, who are stuck in Indonesia, and Australian government is refusing to accept any refugees from Indonesia, um, including refugees who are recognised as refugees by the UN. Um, so we'd like to invite people to actually help publicise this rally. So don't just come along. Um, you could contact the Refugee Action Collective in order to get leaflets and posters to stick around the place, or else you could contact Socialist Alliance to get uh, get posters and leaflets. Okay, um, so I just wanted to draw, um, thanks for that, Sue. Um, I guess I wanted to kind of draw, because we weren't able to get the um, interview with Alison um, in, I thought I'd give, do a bit of reporting, I guess, on what some of the political responses has been to uh, the nuclear submarine kind of announcement. Um, so basically, we've, we've kind of heard from, I guess, a socialist alliance perspective that me and Sue sort of directly given gave um when we're, where we're kind of um that we directly kind of gave but there has been some other perspectives that have been kind of being put forward um and it's actually being reported all on the pages of green left um so there has been quite a pretty quick reaction we we already sort of spoke about paul keating sort of reaction so we won't sort of go into that but what has been quite clear is that um you know, there's even been conservatives, um, such as United States Director of Nat- um, National Intelligence, who have even pointed out that, you know, it's not our assessment that China wants to go to war. And so they, they've basically been criticising this whole um, AUKUS military sort of alliance. There's also basically Australian defence analysis have also publicly pointed out, well, what is... Um, what is the basis of um, of Labor's decision to embed Australia more deeply with the US and British war machines? Green Senator David Shoebridge has also spoken out, representing the Greens, you know, describing AUKUS as a reckless alliance cooked up by the Morrison government and backed by Labor, and has made the argument that it compromises Australian sovereignty. And he argues as well that the push to join the nuclear subclub is causing unrest with our regional allies and adds fire to a growing arms race. And what's quite interesting is that Shoebridge has said the Greens will not cooperate with the government to force budget cuts on public services to pay for nuclear subs and warned Labor to stop mortgaging our future to stroke regional tensions. Then the other thing is um, some other kind of comments that have kind of come out um, is just something important to note is um, we didn't get a chance to cover this in the discussion that was happened earlier, but according to a Lowry Institute poll published last year, 51% that have stated that Australia should stay neutral in any war between um, between the US and China, because I think this this is significant because this comes in the context of um, of years of propaganda against China from the former coalition government and sections of the corporate media. And um, we also um, and also we also have um, what other comments that have come is a number of un- besides there has been a number of unions that have opposed the AUKUS alliance. So CFMEU has been one where they basically made a vote um, that they that they opposed the ongoing military alliance, and um, that's coming from the CFMEU, and that was cut passed at the national conference at the CFMEU that happened last year. And then probably some other things to note is um, I noticed um, it's been kind of reported that um, the Anti-Poverty Centre has actually criticised um, criticised the, the the nuclear submarine announcement on the basis of their of their priorities. Basically, um, the Anti-Poverty Centre has put the choices bluntly. The 368 billion for five submarines over 30 years we can afford, but keeping house 
keeping people housed, fed, and the supports they need to survive, apparently we can't afford. And I think, you know, that's in response to the fact, that's a common response to the fact that the Albanese said only last year, that uh, last April, that it would be too expensive to consider raising uh, JobSeeker and other welfare payments, which are well below the poverty line. So, yeah, that's, um, I think that that's... That's a, a bit of the kind of response, the kind of initial response to this kind of AUKUS submarine and um, nuclear submarine announcement. And I guess I'll just make kind of one final plug that, you know, people should absolutely get to the protests at 1pm um, at the State Library tomorrow because I think it'll be the, the best opportunity to kind of get our voice heard on opposition to this nuclear submarine deal. No, absolutely. Okay. Well, I might just go, um, I was thinking actually, maybe I will, um, I'll play, I'll play, I'll play a quick, I'll play a quick song just to, and then we'll, um, I'll play Black Fella, White Fella by the Warumpi Band. You're listening to Green Left Radio. <laughs>
you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And now we're just getting to the last part of our program. Um, and basically, I just wanted to kind of just have a bit of a, just do a bit of a quick thing on the, the counter-protest that's actually happening against um, Posey Parker. Um, tom- um, that's going to be happening kind of tomorrow. It's going to be at 11.15 AM at the Expedition Gardens in um, Carlton. And I imagine the kind of plan is to sort of Go um, to the go to and counter protest against the the, the right wing pro, the far right protest that will be happening at Parliament kind of house. But to give a bit of that's why I'm getting into that. So um, basically, um, just to give a bit of background for for Posey Parker, drawing on the article that um, has been produced on Green Left on this issue, why we need to protest transphobic hate speech. Um, transphobic agitator Kelly J. Keen, she who is also known as Posey Park, I think Posey Park is sort of her popular sort of name, um, is about to tour Australia and New Zealand. And there's been counter-protests organised and a number of counter-protests have already happened. And I think the encouraging part about the current protests is that we have actually outnumbered her. But to give a bit of background on why people are protesting her, you know, Kane has founded the group Standing for Women and says that 2023 is the year of the turf, trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And essentially, she's actually using her tour, tour to promote her trans-exclusionary radical feminist kind of party. And this is happening, I guess, in the context where around the world, transgender rights are under attack. Britain recently used Section 32 of the Scotland Act to stop the gender recognition Recognition bill for, um, from passing, which would have made it being easier for people to change their gender from passing. More than 390 bills targeting trans people have been filled in the United States. There's also the sports bills, which stop transgender children from participating in sport with their same gender peers and bills that ban gender affirming healthcare. And I think another, another element of Kelly, um, J. Keane that's very problematic is that she's openly trying to build alliances with the far right. So I think in addition to seeing the protests happening tomorrow as a, a protest for trans rights, um, we should also see it as an important protest against the far right and what they, and what they kind of politically represent. But yeah, um, so you'll probably only have time for just one quick comment because we're going to the end of the program, but yeah. I just encourage people to get along to the protest and for people who've got time, come to both of the big protests happening tomorrow, the protest against um, this transphobic uh, activist from uh, the United Kingdom at 11am and then the protest against the AUKUS nuclear subs deal at 1pm. All right, you're listening to. I like to thank all our listeners for tuning in this week. I think it was quite a good program where we covered a lot of ground with the nuclear submarine sort of announcement. Um, unfortunately, probably myself um, and Sue and Chloe were probably going to be away next week, but you'll be joined by Zane and Ari as your Green Left Radio kind of presenters um, next week. And but yeah, stay tuned for Earth Matters, which is um, going to be playing, um, fo- which is going to be airing following this program. And also, so, also tune in for Solidarity Breakfast, which is also the Saturday Breakfast program, which goes from seven to eight thirty a.m. You're listening to. Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM.